Hi guys and welcome back to the Muscle Mentors podcast. We are here for episode 26. I'm virtually sat here with Luke. Luke's in London and Luke's internet is apparently the fastest Wi-Fi connection on earth. So if anyone complains that the sound quality is bad this time, they're lying. <laughs> yeah, the only downside is I'm in a public place and there's a little bit of background noise, but... It, we, we seem to have got around that, so it should be fine. Um, but no, all's good. I think Cal and I have just been recovering from body power, which was a sick experience. But it was uh, it was awesome to meet loads of people and and be you know prompted that we've let you know completely taken our foot off the pedal with regards to the podcast, which we're now going to make sure doesn't you know doesn't uh, or that we correct that um, and and try and get some more consistency going here. Um, again, which should be pretty cool. We met a lot of cool people at that body power that will be featuring on here at some point very soon as well. Um, which should prov- you know, be some exciting content as well. So, um, so what are we covering today, mate? So we're going to delve into protein. Um, so it's something that was discussed a fair bit in the recent, uh, phase one theory seminar in Birmingham a couple of weeks ago. And it's something that I think is probably going to be relatively well received in regards to the information being given and potentially dispelling some, not myths, but dispelling some concepts that might not have much kind of validity when you actually look at the literature itself. Mm. Um, it's generally just a very misconstrued topic when it comes to the realm of bodybuilding and uh, and what people have done for a significant amount of time but now we can potentially be a little bit smarter or more informed about our practices mm-hmm. um, yeah I think that's that's one of the things that kind of prompted me to speak about this in in the seminar um, but then also the like you know to go into this podcast as well because we get questions all the time and we also see like you know some pretty big you know big names and stuff and and people that have been around for a while that like push the idea that you know we should have loads of protein and and stuff like that but also there's just it seems to be like some you know serious misunderstanding of how to actually implement protein within people's diets with when you're aiming to build tissue or preserve tissue in a fat loss phase whatever it is and um, so we're basically just going to try and deliver some manner of, um, oh, you could call it like performance nutrition to some degree. Um, but it's uh, it's just going to give you a bit of insight into how to actually, you know, utilize this macronutrient to your advantage when you're actually designing people's nutrition plans and, you know, trying to build muscle yourself or trying to lose fat or anything like that. Because once you go into the research, it is pretty s- simple um, to actually break stuff down. Um, but it's uh, you know it's just not surprisingly unclear still so we're just going to try and shed some light which would be pretty cool yeah, yeah. But I think the like the place to start is like you know uncovering what it is we're actually trying to achieve with protein and like from a nutritional perspective I mean we could go into we won't today, but we could go into things from a like a carbohydrate perspective and the role they play, um, the impact that fat intake will have on things like glycogen replenishment, which we cover in our seminar. 
um, but today we're just going to try and focus on protein. And like when we think like the two main kind of processes we're, we're trying to balance out um, with, with regards to net um, protein balance in the body um, is, is muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein breakdown. And like, you know, very simply muscle protein synthesis is the synthesis of, of new muscle proteins and muscle protein breakdown is you know, also referred to as like proteolysis and protein degradation. Um, you'll see them that those three terms used interchangeably in literature but they're basically that's just signifying the breakdown of muscle protein and it's the relationship between those two that we're concerned about so in terms of if we're trying to you know get someone to build muscle we want to make sure that we're in kind of a positive protein balance and if we're you know in a negative protein balance which is to say that muscle protein breakdown is kind of outweighing protein synthesis then we're gonna end up losing muscle um it's you know there's there's different ways of measuring it some people use nitrogen balance um the like nitrogen balance itself isn't actually a very good measurement um like we we don't really you know in the sense of you know people people think that if we have positive nitrogen balance we're basically gaining muscle but when you go into things like nitrogen balance like you can have positive nitrogen balance and actually lose muscle tissue because you can be um you know, building gut protein, for instance, at a rate that exceeds your muscle loss, it's not um, specific to muscle protein. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, I see posts all the time where people are like, yeah, I'm consuming, I'm making sure I'm eating enough because I want to be in positive nitrogen balance. And you no, know, even researchers note that nitrogen balance isn't a particularly good measurement of uh, protein balance in the body. Like overall, you know, it doesn't give us a good insight as to whether someone's in like an anabolic or catabolic state with respect to muscle tissue. So I think, you know, are we even going to worry about measuring that in a nutrient, you know, in a scenario when we're just working with people in the gym? No, but just for when people are interpreting research, know that like nitrogen balance isn't the best marker to go by. Um, but uh, I mean, like, I mean, you you all have heard this, Cal, in terms of, and we I spoke about this in the seminar. But people saying like, protein, you know, all we want to worry about is muscle protein synthesis, and you know, muscle protein breakdown is the the, the one thing we want to make sure we're not getting. Um, and like, but it, people don't understand that you need both like neither's good bad like they've done studies where they've genetically altered mice to be unable to run muscle protein breakdown um like all their pathways have been um completely inhibited and and these mice you know theoretically should be the most jacked mice going because they can't lose muscle tissue but what ended up happening was they Got, they basically exhibited things called myopathic conditions, so they got, became very weak and lost a shitload of muscle mass despite not being able to run muscle protein breakdown. So, you know, it calls into question what we're doing from a nutritional perspective when people find ways of trying to blunt muscle protein breakdown and increase muscle protein synthesis. Um, but what it does appear is that muscle protein breakdown plays a pretty essential part. Like this is a quote from a study, actually, I've got in front of me. Um, Proteolysis muscle protein breakdown is an essential part of the production of new skeletal muscle fibers and adapting muscle fibers to cellular stress. Um, uh, current research clearly indicates a critical role of protein degradation in the regulation of myogenic differentiation program, ensuring timely protein expression for myoblast differentiation whilst also mediating myoblast fusion and myotube formation. That sounds like a load of, load of like 
confusing stuff but what it basically means is like muscle protein breakdown is very very key when it comes to like leading to the maturation of muscle fibers um and like ridding the muscle cells of damaged proteins that aren't like aren't contractile proteins and that's where people are going to understand that not all proteins within muscle t- tissue muscle cells are contractile filaments so you know muscle protein breakdown is something we want um and it doesn't make sense to completely stop it um i mean what do you reckon so far yeah it's just reiterating the fact that the the whole notion of muscle protein breakdown is demonized in terms of someone's mindset to the point of i want to minimize that variable as much as possible but it is actually an essential central part of that mechanism working together yeah and it calls it like where you know when people you know they're, they're all times of the day they're trying to do things to stimulate muscle protein synthesis you know it's not necessarily shown to be ineffective um it can be when you could call into things like the the refractory period of muscle protein synthesis which we're going to cover in a bit um but it does you know it does make sense that we want some portions of the day where we're able to run muscle protein breakdown pathways um and like when you actually look at um what happens when we you know intensely calorically restrict people it's, it's like some people will or it's, it's hypothesized that it's an increase in muscle protein breakdown that's the reason why people lose muscle during periods like that when it's actually been shown that it's the lowered muscle protein synthetic responses that we we uh, we incur through our diet and training that, that are the reason we lose muscle so like muscle protein breakdown will occur but the inability of the body to maintain like protein homeostasis um via decreased muscle protein synthesis is basically the reason why we'll lose tissue. Um, and muscle protein breakdown is like, you know, you, you, you could consume minimal food and it's been shown to stop muscle protein breakdown by like 50%. Um, so it's very easy to manipulate from a nutritional perspective. The harder one to manipulate is muscle protein synthesis. And it's the case that you can go through, you know, as many, supplements as you want that you know drive that contain crazy amounts of leucine or whatever it is and stuff like that but the most efficient tool we have for retaining muscle and gaining muscle because of its effect that it has on muscle protein synthesis is resistance training so literally people that don't resistance train you're worried about losing tissue when you put yourself in a caloric deficit start resistance training because that is the best tool we have um like the and the the elevations and like muscle protein synthesis that occur from resistance training can last for like, or our sensitivity to amino acids from muscle protein synthesis, like they can last for upwards of two days. Like it was about two days post-training. So like that whole anabolic window thing is also called into question. Um, like we, we, we'll see elevations in muscle protein synthesis for about two days, um, but it's about will you know 24 hours post training we're sensitive like muscles remain pretty damn sensitive to the kind of anabolic effects of aminos and glucose uptake so it is you know it does mean mean there's a lot less pressure does it mean we don't have to worry about eating for hours and hours after our meal after our training session no like there's still a benefit to getting food in slightly quicker does it have to be immediately no um but like the few hours post training it's a benefit but like people you know, people can kind of hear that information like, oh, you know, if, if I'm sensitive for 24 hours, I can train and not, not eat for like six hours. You, you probably still want to eat. And it's been shown that it's beneficial to do that. 
um, especially if you're trying to build and preserve tissue. If you're trying to be healthy and whatever it is, and your goal isn't physique-related and built, you know, aesthetics, whatever it is, you won't really need to worry about um, being so, uh, you know, over the top or like um, cognizant of things like nutrient timing. But it is, you know, if you are, then it's good stuff um, and it's proven. And like that was one of the things. Like, there's, there's a lot of people that like poo-poo nutrient timing. It's it's pretty damn confirmed that if you want to um, maximize your opportunity of building tissue um, and preserving tissue to some degree in you know, intense caloric deficits then it's um it's a very good strategy to implement um would you agree i mean you use it with clients all the time so do i like in terms of carbohydrate timing things like that again like we said we're not going to put a lot of um uh emphasis on we're not, we're not really going to cover carbohydrates but they have a big role when it comes to manipulating things like insulin and insulin's ability to attenuate muscle protein breakdown um like using carbohydrates at specific points in the day around training you know it has a benefit um but like in terms of what you're doing because obviously you're going into a contest prep now like what are the sort of things like protein intake for you isn't excessive at the moment is it uh, no, uh, my intake is um, 300 grams a day. Yeah, and he's, and he's a big boy. And that's the thing, like, when, when you use anabolics, there's, like, two ways you can go with protein. Um, and there's, like, there's two compounds that will generally increase your demand for protein significantly, and those will be insulin and growth hormone. So if you're running exogenous insulin and growth hormone, your ability to actually use more protein like genuinely use more protein towards muscle protein synthesis is going to increase if you're you know even just on anabolics you're actually it's more of an argument that you need less you can go either way because essentially by having high androgen levels and high levels of testosterone whatever it is you're going to lose less muscle to muscle protein breakdown you're also going to build slightly more like be more responsive to muscle protein synthesis so you can go slightly higher than like the standard one gram per pound of body weight, two two point two grams per kilo, or you could go slightly less; it wouldn't be an issue at all. Um, people kind of take that and they're like, "Oh, I've heard that I can get away with more if I'm on gear, so I'll just like I'll go up to like three grams per pound of body weight." It's like it's completely it's dumb. Like you get like some three hundred pound bodybuilders that go up to like six hundred grams of protein a day, and it's like you know we we cover this in the seminar. If you want to fast track your way to like GI distress or gastrointestinal stress and inability to break down protein in the gastrointestinal tract jack your protein up that high like the people look at um you know especially when they're bigger there's like the view that if we um if we're gonna you know if we're bigger individuals we need um more protein in each meal to actually drive muscle protein synthesis um it's been shown that more muscle does not mean that there's an increased protein demand per meal. There's an increased calorie demand and that's where people can go, okay, I'll have 70, 80 grams of protein in that meal because, you know, I enjoy eating a bit more protein and fine. But like in terms of, are they going to use that extra 40 grams, you know, above what, you know, it's been shown that like 20 grams of protein following resistance training in trained individuals that weighed about 80 kilos, that was enough to stimulate muscle protein synthesis pretty much maximally 40 grams showed about a 10% increase in that study 
in muscle protein synthesis and then you go beyond that and there was no benefit so you people going up to like 50 60 grams and there was no additional benefit with regards to muscle protein synthesis and people go really high with um you know they think that because they're like 250 260 270 300 pound bodybuilders that they can get away with going crazy high you're getting a benefit from the fact that you're just getting more calories in you're not going to get a benefit from the fact that you're driving like you're getting a more amplified muscle protein synthetic response um so it's uh you like that rule of like two to 2.2 grams per kilo body weight one gram per pound body weight in terms of like protein intake across the day that is pretty safe like they've there's been studies where they've gone really low with protein um I think they've gone to like 1.2 grams per kilo and dieted people pretty aggressively and they didn't show any muscle loss. So it's, you know, it's not entirely clear, but they were making up a lot of the rest of their. Daily calorie intake from carbohydrates. So they're, you know, they had a pretty high amount of insulin, which will probably be the reason why um, muscle protein synthesis or muscle protein breakdown was probably attenuated to a decent degree. And that would have meant they didn't lose a lot of tissue. Um, but like people that want to, you know, maximize muscle protein synthesis, that whole, you know, 40 grams in a meal, somewhere between that, depending on body weight, like we have actual, we've gone through the actual equations and we give them to attendees of our course that like the amounts you would actually want. And you just want to make sure there's an ample amount of leucine in that protein source that you're eating, just complete protein source and stuff like that. But it isn't, you know, it's pretty simple to be able to eat, you know, between 20 and 40 grams per meal, um, depending on your size, and uh, maximize your chance of getting muscle protein, you know, stimulate muscle protein synthesis. I mean, it's, you don't really need to go any higher than that. Like, the only reason you would go higher than that, like, we, we know that it's not more anabolic, um, you know is there a greater requirement when we're in a deficit? So if we go into a calorie deficit of like, you know, a significant amount, do we need to go higher than two, 2.2 grams per kilo? No, like it's been shown, like, are we going to lose tissue by not having, you know, jacking our protein intake really high? No. Do we, do we have a great requirement if we're bigger, like if we have more muscle? No, like calories. Yes. Protein intake, probably not. Um, unless you're running things like exogenous insulin and growth and growth hormone, you can actually get away with that. Um, is it more satiating to have more protein? Like a lot of people have that argument and yes, it is, but you could also just chew more, chew your food more. And that's actually pretty damn satiating. Like in terms of if you want to increase satiety, just chew your food more. Um, there's a big argument that gets thrown around where people say, I mean, how many times have you had this mate? Like the, the gluconeogenesis. Like, like, oh yeah, if I, if I have, uh, if I have extra protein, it's cool because I'll just convert whatever, you know, I'm not using for protein synthesis and within the body. And there is like whole body protein synthesis, which is why, you know, people, you know, if we have slightly higher than normal, slightly higher than recommended intake, you probably put some of it towards whole body protein synthesis, which will go towards the creation of enzymes and stuff like that throughout the body. Like it's not just specific to muscle tissue. Um, hence muscle protein synthesis and whole body but the gluconeogenesis is like the most inefficient energy pathway in the body so when people you know it, it isn't it's been shown that training at high intensities gluconeogenesis isn't in, they can't keep up with those energy demands so it's not really valid arguments but it just kind of it's like uh, people have heard that protein will convert over to glucose in this pathway so 
it must work that way, but they don't really understand that it's like a very, very slow pathway when it comes to energy production. Like the only valid reason for jacking protein intake up really, really high is preference. Um, if you enjoy doing that, but we know that if you do that, then you're going to potentially run into issues with digestive health. I think Callum and I can both attest to the fact that we've had so many clients that have come to us from other coaches where their protein intake has been something stupid. Like I put, I put a, uh, um, post up recently of a client who was on like 440 grams of protein. He was a 70, 70 kilo natural bodybuilder and his digestion was absolutely, you know, through the floor he had nothing his ability to like every meal he was getting digestive issues and the first change we made was putting his protein intake down and most of his issues went away um, but he'd kind of been like told that he had to do this because it was you know it was more anabolic and he was you know in a deficit he was in a contest prep so it would have meant it meant he would not lose any tissue but you know he was then like running on fumes because he's you know he's basically his body was going down that gluconeogenic pathway that was probably highly inefficient so his you know daily energy was absolutely through the floor as well um and it's you know it's it's just not a very good thing to do and we know it's really impractical it's very uncomfortable it's expensive and when you go into the literature there's no evidence to support going any higher than one gram per pound of body weight mm. um so you know people there's anecdotal evidence and that's stuff that it's hard to argue with when you get some people that have been training people for years and years and years and years and they turn and they turn around and be like, yeah, but you know, I put all my athletes on, you know, two, three grams per pound of body weight and they do really well. It's like, okay, that's great. But who are you working with? Are you working with assisted athletes that look, you know, they, they're already pretty jacked prior to coming to you or whatever it is, you know, and you know, if you're working with the genetic elite, then this stuff doesn't apply as much. Um, and if you're working with people that don't tend to give too much of a shit about how bad their digestion feels, again, it doesn't really doesn't really apply as much. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the other day that you had a client check, uh, a client or a consultation where someone spoke about protein intake and it, it triggered you or something. I think that was why you wanted to do the podcast. <laughs> yeah, was, um, some somebody brought up a. Um Cliff Wilson and Scott Stevenson were talking about uh, like the, the dieting strategies to minimize the accumulation of adipose tissue when calories are being increased when someone has a greater propensity to store so you see store body fat so you know like um people know that potentially have been holding higher amounts of fat before that you know their body's going to be relatively efficient at driving that back on and driving that response back on when calories go up um potentially because of like alpha and beta receptor regulation whatever it might be uh, it's just met this metabolic uh, and they were basically talking about the consensus that obviously through gluconeogenesis when protein is in excess, it's going to convert to glucose. Um, but the process of carbohydrates, like transferring and, and con the con conversion of carbohydrates to fat relative to the conversion of protein to fat. Protein to fat is a longer process, whereas carbohydrates are a quicker process. And that argument is basically they would, they would uh, utilize a higher protein intake in, this, in those situations to minimize the accumulation of adipose tissue. Yeah. Um, but the argument would then be, on top of that, surely then the main driver in what's going on there, or one of the biggest drivers in what's going on there, is just you creating an energy surplus. Yeah, I think it would be. I think 
I would love to see. I haven't seen any research on on the, you know, that what what you've just spoken about. I mean, it makes sense that biochemically that's going to be you know the case that it takes long you know to to store body fat from protein is a longer you know longer process. Obviously, it still can be done. Um, I just the thing that worries me is like you bring someone out of a hard dieting phase, they're stressed as shit um, and everything like that, and and they're you know, we, you know, it, and this is what I was going to say earlier, like the protein intake, people say like they could have like 120 to, you know, you could have someone eat 200 grams of protein in one sitting. They'll digest that eventually providing they're not really fucked up. But, um, and, but they won't put all of that towards protein synthesis. Like that's why like, you know, intermittent fasting isn't ideal because you're not having like multiple stimulations and muscle protein synthesis during the day. But also if you have, people that are eating a crazy amount of protein and let's say you have people coming out of a contest prep they're pretty stressed out and you decide to jack their protein high with the aim of reducing how quickly fat's going on again it's, it is going to be down to how well you manage their stress how well you manage how quickly you bring food up really um the you know they're in a compromised state of their autonomic nervous system their digestion is going to be compromised as well and the ultimate you know um the factor underpinning someone's ability to uptake protein is going to be how well they're breaking that down in their gastrointestinal tract. And if they're coming out of a phase where their ability to do that is pretty difficult and you jack protein up really high, they're probably not going to be in the best position to, to deal with that anyway. Um, which is why, and you see people see all the time, they go through contest preps and they get into those last few weeks and they get stressed as shit and their ability to deal with, you know, higher amounts of protein, goes you know is reduced so it would be the same coming off the back of a competition as well um i mean it's but it ultimately i do think it is it's going to come down to you know energy balance which i hate to say is a very boring thing to say but i've said things before like people talking about energy balance as the be all or end all i think in this situation it probably is um the um but i, I mean it like yeah i mean it's it's very interesting the, uh, like the, the like the only the only year round with, with kind of actual validity the only year round reasoning behind running protein higher than we what we know would be effective is just down to preference in my opinion yeah yeah, yeah. it's cool like if if you prefer to have that set up in your diet and run protein at a higher intake and accept the fact that you're not really going to be getting a great you know, greater amount of value from the perspective of regulating the pulse star response of muscle protein synthesis from that intake yeah. or per meal. Mm. And if it's just down to preference and you can handle that from a GI perspective, then it's not hard. Yeah. I think, I think like you say, the pulse star thing, that, that's pretty good. Cause like the, they've, um, they've done like uh, studies where they've shown like 20 grams of protein every three hours was more effective at stimulating muscle protein synthesis than having like 40 grams every six hours or 10 grams every hour and a half. And that comes back to that thing I mentioned earlier, which is that muscle protein synthetic, the, the refractory nature of that, um, which is where like you could have your body, you basically, it's, it's, you can have a, so you'll stimulate muscle protein synthesis um, in response to you know ingested amino acids like they'll hit that that leucine threshold and stimulate muscle protein synthesis um, that will rise up and then after about 
120 minutes, so about two hours, varies about night. They've shown like 90 minutes to 120 minutes, even if amino acid levels are still high, um, muscle protein synthesis will return, you know, will slow down and return to baseline despite having um, high levels of amino acids in the bloodstream. And that's where you, you get these guys that have these crazy protein intakes and they're also, you know, not only are they having, you know, extremely high levels of amino acid um, throughout you know throughout the day because of these big feelings they're then like having things like you know BCAAs or whatever it is between meals or you know essential amino acid complexes between meals with the aim of trying to keep that muscle protein synthesis response really high um, and we know that you know it's, it's called the, the muscle fill effect like what once you hit that point the muscles not going to respond to it um, like the the so, so it comes down to the fact that you you shouldn't you know if you're someone who's like constantly sipping on BCAs or having these crazy crazy really frequent feeds of protein or not even crazy but like just highly frequent feeds of protein you're probably not doing yourself any more benefit um, and like maybe even reducing how effective your ability to run muscle protein synthesis is going to be because you're not ever going to be able to get back to that um, like elevated response and or baseline response even just because you're kind of like constantly putting stuff in the tank. Um, but, um, but it does, again, it shows why like people in implementing like a fasting approach, you're still going to be able to build tissue, but let's say you're having like, you know, all your daily protein of like 200 grams within like a six hour period. Um, like you're missing out on the, you know, being able to dose protein throughout the day in smaller amounts and actually gain more of a benefit. Um, it does mean mean that also you know if we're shown that like 120 minutes is the is the cutoff, then eating every two hours is also pretty stupid. So people go, oh, I need to have my meal every two hours, and I've done that. Um, and it's you know not only is it not really enough time for protein to actually make it through your digestive system, but we know that you're not going to get any benefit from a from a point of view of stimulating muscle protein synthesis. And if your game your your game plan is to you know build muscle like stimulate hypertrophy and or retain tissue in a dieting phase then spacing meals out for you know around that four to five hour mark is pretty pretty uh good thing to do um the uh the research is pretty clear on that one of the things it is though is like you know people you look at those studies and they've shown like there's that refractory period like the resistance training has been shown to somewhat overcome that um so where you have the um you know people that are able to people that are frequently resistance training they're probably you, know, you are going to be able to have potentially more frequent feedings um because you're that the whole act of resistance training will kind of resensitize that tissue to um to amino acids so it's you know it's, it's a difficult one to like fully go in on because the i mean the research isn't even that clear on it um but it's um it's pretty straightforward really just don't eat every two hours and make sure you're allowing enough time for it to digest and then if you're intermittent fasting just know that you're going to be a, li a little less of a or a little more of a disadvantage um pretty straightforward if you look at the most common scenario of inquiries or people that you speak to where the, the factor in one's ability to progress after a certain period of time is food being pushed too hard and then typically you'd see protein being 
and the plethora of GI issues alongside that. So the amount of times we've had clients where we just pull protein down to a, a, a more minimum baseline where it's still just as effective, but we're using other tools to then drive that response um, and everything starts to click together again. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's one of my, I'd say like pet peeves because like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always, everything we do, everything, everything I do, everything we do, we want to make sure there's actual support for doing that. But obviously like, you know, sometimes there's, there's things where we've figured it out, you know, and there's stuff I guarantee that a lot of experienced coaches out there will have, will have figured certain things out before the research has figured it out. And then it comes out later and you're like, Oh sweet. I was right. But things like this, you know, there's enough research on there to, to know that, you know, if there's research, not supporting going any higher than one gram per pound, then there's not really any reason to go there. Um, and, and when the, the bulk of research supporting that one gram per pound or two gram, 2.2 gram per kilo body weight intake of protein is, um, is this good, then, then it's, it's a bit pointless to disregard it. Um, it's like, and, and you can get into like protein timing. Like people talk about, you know the research there is is interesting because like i mean this is where you could, it comes into like the interpretation of research is pretty key here because you get all these um you know studies where they look at ingesting you know protein drinks whatever it is you know post training and they compare the timings and they show like you know around 1 hour is is tends to be a bit more optimal for stimulating muscle protein synthesis, but then there's others that show that, you know, three hours is pretty fine or waiting around two hours is, is fine. And, you know, it's, it's not a hell of a lot. Um, there's not, you know, it's harder to interpret that sort of thing, but then you look at, you know, you do interpret the research and it comes back to, is it the fact that they're timing protein consumption post-training or is it the fact that all these studies, most of the participants then just have an increase in their total daily protein intake and that then, is providing the benefit above and beyond the fact that they're just having it post-training. So it's like, you know, there's certain areas of research where it's sketchier. Um, and you, you can also look at like the, the participants they use and how they design these studies. But, you know, there's certain things we can be damn sure of. And like that, that is like that 2.2 gram per kilo, 1.1 gram per pound of body weight. Like if you're setting clients there, then that's fine. Like there's ways you can figure out, like say, I'm not going to put it all out on here because there's people that have, Pay pretty good money to come to our seminars. I'm not just going to give the answers out here, but the um, like protein intake per meal is pretty easy to work out how how much is efficient there, um, how how much we should, you know, when we should time protein post training, how how often, you know, how far apart we should time protein feedings, and like I've said, I have already said that which would be around four hours. Um, you know, do we need to be in a surplus? Or, you know, or maintenance calories, you know, it's, that comes into question as well. Um, that's debatable, to say the least. We won't go into that today. Um, and, you know, do we need excessive protein consumption? Probably not. Um, in fact, I'd say, I'd more or less say definitely not, but that's, that's risky to say in, in the world of nutrition science. Um, but, um, but it's understanding all the mechanisms. Like, you know, people don't even realise that, you know, amino acids are more insulinogenic than glucose and things like that. Um, so you can go into how the, you know, what is it about the protein that is, is so powerful when it comes to 
preserving muscle tissue and all this stuff and and you know it's, it's the fact that you have leucine and things like that that are able to stimulate insulin production um pretty powerfully and they also you know these direct triggers for muscle protein synthesis and it's the the fact that people you know go to the you know they take that whole lower carbohydrate approach um and again you take a lower carbohydrate response you're going to have lower circulating levels of insulin for one um which means your ability to retain tissue is potentially going to be compromised but then you also have the fact that amino acids and protein are going to stimulate insulin production anyway so you get all these people that are worried about insulin and they're still eating ample amounts of protein you haven't you haven't overcome that issue so again you know understanding the mechanisms at play being able to read the research is the is a very good thing for people to do and um and it's all out there like all this stuff we just talked about is like it's all on it's all out there you just need to go and go and read that stuff or just come to our seminars and we'll tell, tell it to you <laughs> easier. <laughs> yeah um but it's uh i mean i mean is there anything else you want to add i don't think there's a hell of a lot more we need to add to that no no uh just like just, just recapping what we said, like yeah. hypertrophy requires a positive net protein balance and MPS needs to be dominant over MPD, MPB breakdown, but breakdown still has a pretty integral process, part of the process in general. Mm. One of the greatest tools for achieving the stimulation of muscle protein synthesis will be resistance training. So when, when you answer that process, understand that resistance training plays a key part in their ability to hold on to skeletal uh, tissue. Um, the thresholds that we set per meal and across the day. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, you know, if we're looking at, you know, basic stuff and you're like designing meals and stuff like that, you could call it that, you know, looking at, you know, making sure you have at least five grams of leucine in the protein protein source that you're consuming and making sure that, you know, you're, you've got sufficient circulating levels of these essential amino acids. So it comes back to that, having a complete protein source. So if you're vegetarian or vegan, you know, make sure you're being smart with your actual protein choices. You know, don't just be like, oh yeah, this has protein in that sweet when you're actually missing out on like six, you know, sufficient levels of like six or seven different amino acids that are going to help. Um, that's why it's hard. That's why it comes down to when you understand this sort of stuff, if you want to be a vegan or, or a um, vegetarian, like the whole micronutrient debate comes into play. Some people, you know, aren't smart enough from that perspective, but also people that are trying to build tissue, you've got to be smart from a perspective of making sure you're getting sufficient protein in. Um, the, uh, I mean, that is, that's another, you could call that another podcast in itself, but neither of us are, um, experts when it comes to veganism and vegetarianism um i think one of the things that is it does call into question though which we could cover briefly is the like intra-workout supplementation whereas like you know the, the biggest argument for including that is the fact that we're kind of stimulating the those kind of anabolic or anti-catabolic pathways whilst we're training um, which are going to in turn attenuate that muscle protein breakdown response. But, you know, it's arguably the case that we don't really want to do that. And maybe one of the reasons why, um, you know, I don't really think a lot of the guys back in the day had all these intra-workout stuff. Personally, we use them. I use them. Cal uses them. I use them with clients. Cal uses them with clients. Um, 
I think there's a lot of evidence supporting them, and there is. Um, I actually, you know, we conclude in our seminar that they're pretty, pretty good things to include. But when you consider that muscle protein breakdown, the, the idea that we don't want to blunt that all the time, maybe resistance training is one of those opportunities where we don't want to do that. That might become clearer in the future. Um, but at the moment, it does seem probably permissible to include them. Um, and it, but again, people go way over the top with that sort of thing. You know, you, if you want to, you know, BCAAs get told that they're absolute shit. Um, they are, when into some respect, if you compare them to like the fact that most of the research is done using essential amino acids during training and stuff like that, I would probably say it's safer to say essential amino acids are better. BCAAs aren't actually as bad as people think. Um, they're kind of like if you absolutely have to then use it do you need it again it comes back to what we said earlier is it the fact that people are having the extra protein during training after training before training whatever it is or is it the fact that they're just increasing increasing their total daily protein intake mm. who knows um but you know if it's an opportunity to get stuff in and that is literally one of the main benefits of having intra-workout protein intra-workout carbohydrate it, you know you're you're kind of attenuating the reduction in muscle protein synthetic signaling that you're going to occur in a calorie deficit and the increase in muscle protein breakdown that might occur during exercise, but you're also just, it's another day opportunity in the day to increase calories, um, increase energy intake, which if you're someone who needs to jack up their calorie intake and you're already kind of, your meals are massive and your kind of appetite's taking a hit and that's an opportunity to do it and it seems to work pretty damn well. Um, you do have to come in, if you're trying to use into workout carbohydrates and stuff like that as an energy source you want to be careful we're not going too high but there's a we, we you know we're not we won't cover that here um but it's you know it does come you know it's an interesting topic um and but i would say you know if anyone out there has some pretty ironclad evidence as to one way or the other with regards to we should or we shouldn't implement it um, like intra-workout carbohydrate and intra-workout protein sources, then I'd be very, very keen to see it. But like I said at the moment, it probably is a fine thing to include once you're at the level where you need to do it. If you're someone who's like just starting out and all that stuff we spoke about before is still new to you and you're like, oh my God, I haven't even been eating one gram per pound of body weight and I, and I haven't, you know, I don't have a good amount of protein every meal and I'm not, you know, I'm a vegetarian or a vegan and I don't have adequate amounts of leucine in what I'm eating. Like if you want to know that sort of thing, then there's apps you can plug your food into and it will tell you, just Google that sort of stuff. Um, but the, you know, if you're someone who hasn't nailed quote unquote, the basics of what we just spoke about them, the intra workout side of things is not probably something you should concern yourself with for now. Um, Cause if that's the case, you're probably also maybe not training at an intensity where, where you need it anyway. I think if you're someone who trains like Cal and I and people like the guys Cal trains with and all of our clients who know what it means to train hard, then including things in the workout perimeter that aren't going to dig you into too much of a hole uh, or going to help making sure you don't dig yourself into too much of a like an under-recovered state um, post-training then or during training, then intra-workout is a good thing. Um, but I think you've got to earn it. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm. Would that be on the latter end of the to-do list. Mm. I mean, how long have we been going? It's quite a short one, though. 
50 minutes. Oh, that's, that's not too bad. I should probably wrap it up there then. Yeah, we, we've nailed everything there. I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's more as well, but that's like, you know, that should give people a pretty basic understanding of the fact that protein is pretty simple, but at the same time, it's not. But when you, it, in it, in, but it is really in the sense of you don't, um, you know, 2.2 to 2 grams per kilo body weight, 1 gram per pound. You know, it's refractory. You don't need it all during the day. I mean, we've, we've summarized a few times, so just re-listen to it. Um, but you definitely don't. I don't want to say definitely. I definitely don't think anyone needs to be going to like the 3 grams, you know, upwards of 2.5 to 3 grams per pound of body weight um, with, if they're trying to maximize muscle gain. Because, you know, it comes down to, you know, I didn't even mention it, but people that are going, oh, the gluconeogenic argument, Oh yeah, it's fine because it will convert over to glucone, you know, glucose via gluconeogenesis. Just eat more carbohydrates because mm-hmm. carbohydrates, you know, they're going to jack up insulin, which is just going to, you know, it is going to help shift you into more of an anabolic state anyway, um, and it's going to be far more energy efficient. So just do that. It's pretty straightforward. Unless um, you prefer to eat that much protein and you're happy with it, and then cool, keep doing your thing. Yeah. If you if you like it, you get. I mean, you've got to be a pretty insane. You, you must. You've got to have a quite an incredible digestive system to not be affected negatively by having a crazy, crazy high protein intake. Like, like I'll go upwards to, and it might, you know, maybe it's something you adapt to. Who knows? I don't think they've studied that. Um, but you know, I've seen. Um, you know, well, I've done it myself. Where I've gone pretty high. I wouldn't. I've probably gone to like two. 0.2 grams per pound and it's bloody uncomfortable mm. and that's not even excessive i mean that is excessive but that's like some guys out there go really high so it's a it's an interesting one but anyway we hope this was useful people um there's probably going to be some people out there that disagree with us um i've got all the references so if you want them just uh just Try and find them yourself first because it's <laughs> but uh, but then um but no if, if anyone wants them just shoot me a message and I'll ping them over. Um but yeah. As, but like we said, if you are gonna read research on this sort of thing, make sure you read beyond the abstract because there's a lot of stuff out there where they've gone, Oh yeah, you know, if you wait there was a study that was referenced by someone pretty big in this industry and they were like, Oh yeah, if you eat protein uh, if you leave eating protein post workout for uh, uh, two hours you eliminate the hypertrophy hypertrophic effects of amino acids and then you that was in the abstract and then you look at the methods and they use like the participants were like the elderly they were like 70 80 and it's like, okay so that's really applicable to 20 year olds that train so if you're going to read the research on this make sure you you read the research you don't just read the abstract um so uh because there's some pretty interesting stuff in there and a lot of the stuff you look into in, in this area it's done on like endurance athletes and stuff mm. so it's, it's harder to gauge um but it's um interesting to read nonetheless but if anyone wants them find me an email find me a message on instagram and i will ping them over probably shouldn't have said that because i'm going to be like inundated thousands but i'm probably just going to ignore that now shit <laughs> <laughs> i retract that statement <laughs> no. anyway um so what's what's the plan i mean we've got some cool guests coming on do you want to talk about that so we have um 
Who have we got next? It'll be Joe, no? Yeah. We've got the, we've got the Medichex one. We've got Joe. We've got Luke, Lehman. Um, we'll be getting some of the guys, well, I think all of them individually from the um, Fitness Unfiltered podcast on. Yeah. The, the guys and gal. Yeah. Because um, I think we had a... We, had a, we connected with them over the weekend and it was cool and I think we'll we'll be doing stuff with them which is cool um, yeah there's, there's a, we're, we're making sure I said I said um, I said for Belinda <laughs> who we met in um, at the expo that we'll uh, we'll make sure we're more consistent with this because she absolutely loved this and she's an absolute legend mm. yeah so shout out to you yeah there should be there should be well Joe's will be very very soon um, and then, or did the, did the Medichex guy email you back? Hasn't I only sent that? Uh, no, not yet, but he will. That that would be a cool one in in respect to um, kind of harm prevention in the use of antibiotics coming from an actual GP as well. Who you know, it, it's it's a little bit of a touchy subject in most places where if you go to if you go to a GP or you go through the NHS, it's a it's a frowned upon topic. There's a lot more acceptability of it now, and the individuals that we're meeting are are actually really switched on this subject for the people. That we're yeah. um, we'll we'll talk about a little bit about kind of analysing and interpreting blood work, and we'll talk about harm prevention. And it would just be a, it would be really refreshing to get someone someone's opinion from within that practice that is seeing things from a slightly more clinical approach. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 It'd be sick. That'd be cool. He's one of those guys where we just started talking to him, and uh, I like looked at Cal like halfway through the, the conversation. I was like, "Podcast." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's um he he was a very he was very good to listen to. And he knew his stuff, and he would he had some valuable input. So it'll be cool. It'll be very cool. Definitely. Okay. Anyway, sweet. That was, well, thank uh, you. That was six. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening, people. Um. Obviously, well, I don't think we covered anything in here that was uh, medical advice, so I don't think we even need to do a disclaimer. But just in case, we'll put one on the description. Um, and uh, but obviously, anything we said here, consult your dietitian, nutritionist, medical practitioner before implementing. Like, have to say it. Um, any, uh, you know, it's all educational, um, not not medical advice. But. Uh, but, and if you you know if you found it useful, found it interesting, didn't find us too boring, um, then drop us a rating and review. If you want to write something nice, that's always a it's always a pleasure. Um, but on iTunes, like just just drop us a, drop us your thoughts. If you thought it was shit, probably don't. Just messes the ratings up, makes us look shit. So, <laughs> but um, but cheers for listening. Good stuff. We'll uh, speak to you soon. <laughs>